Welcome to Fraud Busting. I'm Tracy Brown, the Fraud Busting Body Language Expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion dollar business deals. It's time to dive in so you can beat the fraudsters at their own game and build your bottom line. Chris Hadnagy visits Fraud Busting today. He's a social engineer extraordinaire, and his specialty is the human side of security. You'll be amazed at his stories of breaking into companies at their request to test their security, and we'll chat about how to use the tools of persuasion that the bad guys use to make the world a better place. So you win friends, influence people, and leave them better off for having met you. His new book, Human Hacking, is hot off the presses. You're going to want to make sure you get a copy of it. Enjoy. I am so thrilled that um, you and your people said yes to letting you come on my show um, because I have watched your work for a long time. And, oh, thank um, you. And I was always kind of looking for a reason to reach out. And then I saw, I saw you had your book come out, which um, they were, uh, your folks were nice enough to send me a, uh, uh, an e-copy of it. And I got to tell you, I love it. It is Thank fantastic, you. and um, I wish that I had written it. <laughs> like I, I love it that much, and so um, well, that's a nice compliment. Thank you well, very much. And, and the thing is, I don't love books. Like I, I write books, but I'm never like, oh my god, that was amazing. Like some fiction, I will, but uh -huh. never like a professional book. I was sucked in from the first paragraph on <laughs> the first page, and um, so let's talk a little bit about you and what enabled you to write these amazing stories, because there are so many of them in the book, and let's just, it's called Human Hacking, and I know it's coming, is it now, what's the date on yeah, it? Yeah, January 5th, it got released, if you can believe that. Yeah, so it's brand new, and it's on Amazon, everywhere you get your books. Um, let's talk a little bit about you, and then we'll, then we'll back into the book, and how all that came about. So what, um, tell us about your background and what <laughs> enables you to write yeah. these, like, essentially their spy stories is yeah. really how I'm going to classify them. So tell us a little bit about you and, and your background and how, how we got to here to today yeah. chatting about, um, <laughs> chatting about uh, social engineering. So I, um, you know, I, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but I think the most relevant part of the story is I was working uh, maybe about 15 or 16 years ago, more 17 as a operations manager for a pen testing company. So we were doing uh, network pen testing, which meant companies hired us to hack their computers and we tell them how we did it. And uh, a lot of guys at that time, including me, we were coding exploits. I stunk at it. So whenever we would have a pen test, I'd be the guy who would like call someone up on the phone and get them to give me a password or walk up to a security guard and just get them to let me in the building. And it always worked, but I didn't know how. So it felt like I was a Jedi or a magician or something, but it irritated me because the hacker mentality is you want to know how things work. So I started to read books on psychology and read things on nonverbals and read like Cialdini's Influence yeah. and Paul Ekman's Emotions Revealed. And I started, you know, Joe Navarro, what everybody is saying. I started to read all these books that started to explain, oh, wait, I'm doing that. Oh, I'm trying that. And I didn't know that it was things I didn't I unconsciously didn't know it. So I came back to my boss at the time and I said, we should write a course on this thing called social engineering. Like no one has ever written about it. 
And uh, he said, well, we have to write a framework first. So that's, this is your thing, you write the framework. So I wrote a framework and it still lives today on social-engineer.org. Um, I released it and I thought, okay, you know, a few people will be interested in this. It became an overnight sensation in the security field. Uh, I got called by a publisher and invited to write my very first book. So this is going back now uh, 11 or 12 years. And I wrote that book and that launched the company I have today. So, you know, you jump through, I won't go through all those hoops. You jump through like uh, 12 years of running this company. And like you said, there's just so many stories and so many uh, ways that I've used this skills that I said, man, you know what? This book needs to be written because it's not just about security anymore, Uh, especially in a world where we can't seem to have a conversation without violence. A book about how to just be a human, how to be empathetic, how to how to converse, how to stay safe from scams. These things are so important that I think it needs to happen. And that that really was the, the motivation for it through the through the years. Well, here, here's why I really liked it is because I've always thought of, because um, I'm, I'm a body language expert and, and I focus in really in two areas. One is persuasion and influence and the other is, uh, is lie detection and, and fraud prevention. And the reason I really like your book is because you took what can be a dark topic, which is social engineering. Now, now I know you have a great definition of social engineering. Let me tell you mine, and then you, you tell me yours. Because um, I always termed it as high stakes persuasion. Hmm. But you have a, you have a different um, definition of that. Do you want to jump into that a little bit? Yeah. So it's uh, any act that influences a person to take an action that may or may not be in their best interest. And, and I, I go with a broad definition because um, I, I think that there are positive as well as negative sides to this persuasion or influence that we can use in a good way or that could be used in a very bad way. Well, right. And so let's let's talk about some of these ways that you've been hired to, to use this. And then let's let's flip it and talk about some some ways that may be more um I don't know, social, like for social good, (laughs) as as opposed to uh, like somewhat nefarious, um, nefarious uh, uh, uses. So um, you, you've posed as a, like a delivery guy um, to, to get into a building. It it sounds like from some of the stories in the book, like using ladders to hop over fences and secure areas. Like what are some of the fun ones that that you've done where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just pulled that off. Yeah. So uh, let me see. One of the crazier ones was last year, of course, pre-COVID, one of my guys, Ryan and I, we we flew to Jamaica and we broke into three banks. Really? Yeah. And it's a crazy one because I never, uh, before that, I haven't done much um, bank work outside of this country. Uh So, uh, you know, we we get to Jamaica, we're hired, we're supposed to go break into these banks and um, we pull up to our, our first bank. I'll tell you the pretext in a second, but I, we're looking at the bank from across the street and there's these guys on dirt bikes with shotguns on the side of the dirt bikes patrolling the grounds and that's their security. And I'm like, wait, no one told me about that. Like, <laughs> oh my I didn't know that, that there was like dudes and shotguns and they had these weird masks on that had like teeth and jaws on them and stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, this is not like, a, you know, American security, you know, they say security, they're in a bulletproof vest, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you could tell them these were like young guys with guns. And I'm like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna die here, you know, uh-huh. but I'm like, okay, okay, we could do this, we could do this. So we came up with this pretext, because the other thing, 
uh, about social engineering is you kind of, you have to be very aware of cultural biases and cultural norms because they play a huge piece, right? So me and Ryan were two white guys in an area of Jamaica where we probably are the only two white guys. And we're going to go break into these banks. So I'm like, we're going to stand out. There's no way we're blending in. Yeah. Uh, so we need a pretext. We need a, a reason that we're there that makes a lot of sense. So uh, we made up a, a story that we were from America as auditors for, for the bank. To We're going to do business in America with this bank and we had to audit their security. Now, we had kind of scoped out the building a little bit and saw they had security right inside the door. There's two guys with guns sitting at this desk. And, you know, we have to bypass that. So we, we had got a local, we hired a local and we said, look, man, we need you to go inside. Here's a few bucks. Just go talk to security about how, uh, what you would need in order to get into the building to do some work. So while he's at the front desk, um, I grab my cell phone and a clipboard and I say, Ryan, just follow me. And I get on my phone and I'm like, hey, hey, Steve, yeah, we're here. We're going to do the audit now. We're, we're coming upstairs. And I'm saying this on my cell phone as we walk in the front door. Uh-huh. And then I just walk right past security and up the stairs and they don't stop us. Oh, my all. gosh. Right. Because I'm on the phone. I'm saying, hey, Steve, we're here. We'll be right upstairs. We get upstairs and we're both like, you know, breathing and sweating and like everything. And I'm like, okay, that I can't believe that worked. Uh-huh. And we walk upstairs and there's a woman who's entering this, this door and on the door, it says ATM testing center. Uh-huh. And she has a big badge and it has a keypad on it. She swipes in and we just follow her in and she's startled. So she looks, she's like, Oh, what, what are you doing walking in behind me? And I said, Oh, we're, we're auditors from America. We're doing a bank audit. And she's like, Oh, okay. So and they she just, just goes up. Yeah. yeah, she just took my word. And now we're roaming. We had we hacked the bank. We roamed. We were in a call center. We we got access to computers. We were in that bank for like an hour and a half before anybody stopped us. And uh, and, and it was literally that that simple. It was it was it was truly one of those jobs where we left there going, wow, like that. We could have we could have been shot in any time, but that was amazing. And we left there very. Uh, energetic i could say <laughs> well i guess so hopped up on adrenaline okay, yes, so, yes. so when so, so let's talk about how to prevent something like that because i i work with a lot of banks uh, bank associations yeah. and things like that is this a call it like a prestige suggestion like because you've uh embodied the uh, mannerisms of, a, of an auditor, someone who knows better than everyone around? Or is there something else you're exploiting there in, in the human psyche to get this accomplished? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So let me tell you a, a, another part of that story where we failed. And then I think it will be clear what we could do. So we left that bank because we had three and we went to another branch of that bank. And this is where the servers were, the what they call the NOC, the Network Operations Center. Mm-hmm. And that building was, it was in the bank premises, but it was surrounded by a huge fence with barbed wire. It had armed guards inside of it. The only way to get the gate open because there was no way from the outside, you had to have a special badge and then the gate opened. Um, so we get there and I'm like, man, we're not going to breach the fence. It's broad daylight. Right. So uh, I, you know, I, I ring the bell, the guard comes out and I said, Hey, we're here from America to do an audit. Um, and he's like, uh, what's your name? We gave him our fake names. He looks at his, his clipboard and he's like, you're not on the list. And now I knew the guy in the bank that should have approved us, but it was all fake. But I said, oh, didn't Randy put us on the list? And he's like, 
no, Randy didn't put you on the list, but now I'm getting somewhere because he's, he heard a name that he recognizes. And we had known just because of OSINT, so open source intelligence, that Randy was actually not there today. He was on a business trip and he couldn't be reached. So I said, why don't you call Randy? Um, And maybe he'll can confirm that we're supposed to be here. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. You wait here. I said, hey, hey, before you go, we're Americans and we're not used to this heat. Like, can we just come inside and wait while you make those calls? Uh-huh. And he says, yeah, okay. So he buzzes us in and we get in. And now I say to Ryan as we're walking in, like when he leaves to go make the calls, let's hack the computers. Uh-huh. So we're sitting in the, in the front office and there's all these computers around. And he's like, I'll be back in a minute. And he rounds the corner and he says something to one of his buddies, which we couldn't hear. And a second later, this dude who was like the size of King Kong. I mean, this guy had to be six, eight. And six feet wide, he comes out, he's got a billy stick, he's got a shotgun, he's got a taser, he's got, and he just stands in the doorway with his arms folded looking at us. Uh-huh. And Ryan and I are both like, uh, what do we do? So Ryan just slowly tries to go towards the computer, like making, like maybe I could distract him and he'll slip a USB key in. And the guy goes, uh-uh. And we're just like, no, we weren't going to touch it. We're just we're just standing here. We're not doing nothing. And this guy could have picked me up and ripped me in half. Uh-huh. Now, that was the right way. See, so he did a kind thing. He let us come in uh-huh. from, from there. And then he put a guard in front of us so we couldn't touch anything. Now, he goes in the back. And now I'm thinking, oh, crap. He's going to call Randy and not get confirmation. Uh-huh. And we're going we're gonna to get arrested. This guy's going to break us in half. Yeah. So he comes back out and he's like, look, I couldn't reach Randy. I keep getting this voicemail. And I'm like, oh, okay. Hey, man. So why don't we just do this? We're, we have another branch to go to. We'll go do that. We'll call Randy and we'll come back when we're on the list. He's like, okay, no problem. So we hightailed out of there and never came back. <laughs> they stopped us, right? They, they, they in essence stopped our attack by even though he was kind by making sure someone was watching us. And that first branch, if they had stopped us and not trusted that we were just auditors because I said it out loud, Mm -hmm. they would have verified that we weren't on the list and they would have stopped us. Oh, wow. So, so a little bit of check-in goes a long way. A long way. And so uh, here's what I was so curious about as I read your book. You seem to think on your feet really quickly. Um, (laughs) You have to. (laughs) Well, that, but, but it goes along the line of your, uh, principles, right? Which is set the pretext, and then, but you, but you had some, you had some other ones in there that um, I thought were really interesting, uh, uh, based on I think it was rapport. And mm-hmm. now tell us how you got people's pin numbers yeah. in the Italian <laughs> restaurant, and and how else have you used that one? Because that yeah. that was fascinating. That's a great story. Thanks for bringing that one up. So that's in the chapter about elicitation. And what I wanted to do is we were, I, not many people have written about elicitation in books and I wanted to um, start teaching it in my course, but for me to teach something, I want to make sure that I have it down pat and I understand it. So me and a buddy were like, okay, we're going to try this practice on elicitation and we're going to see if it works. And if it does, I'll be able to write about it. So part of the principles of elicitation is using like false data. Like you, you, you quote something really important and people will believe it. Uh, so we had this ruse. We go that we're in downtown DC. We're looking for a restaurant. There's this Italian restaurant that has like the, the little tables that are all close to each yeah, other. Yeah. So we knew we wouldn't be separated by booths. So mm-hmm. we go in there, we sit down. There's a whole bunch of people eating 
And we have this conversation that goes like this, and we're doing it loud enough for people to hear, but not boisterous. So we're making it sound like we want you to listen. So um, he says, hey, Chris, did you read in that USA Today article about 68% of all people uh, use their birthday as their password? And I said, I didn't see the article, but I said, that makes sense. I do. I said, it's really easy to remember uh, 0871. Uh-huh. And he goes, really? That, that's, your, that's your pin? I'm like, yeah, it's just easy to remember my date of birth. And the guy sitting next to us looks at his wife and goes, I told you, you're just another statistic. You should never use your date of birth for your <laughs> pin. And she says, but it's really easy to remember 0763. Uh-huh. And he goes, yeah, but that's why you shouldn't use it because you're just a statistic. And he goes, she says, well, I can't remember your pin like 041826. And he goes, of course you get it wrong. You always mess it up. It's 041862. Uh-huh. He goes, stop mixing up the last numbers. And we're both saying there, oh my God, these two people just gave out their pins like out loud. Yeah. So the waitress comes over and she says, you know, I use Bank of America. And they allow me to use letters and symbols. So I just use my daughter's favorite stuffed animal and her and her month of birth. So it's Panda 7. Mm-hmm. And we're all like, oh, my God, like the this group of people are now giving us their PIN numbers because we didn't ask for them. And that's what elicitation is. It's getting information from people without directly asking for it. So we, we, we did this thing and nobody knew that we were doing it. Well, now, if if you were a bad guy, let's just say, um, and you had that all of a sudden in an Italian restaurant in D.C., what would your next step be? Like, would sure. you, what else would you elicit there? How would you do it? Right. So now let's just say the guy next to me, let's use that couple. Right. So the guy next to me, I have both of their pins. Now, maybe I'm like um, my buddy might lean over and he might go. Yeah, that's why I'm telling him. Same thing you're telling your wife, like, don't use that. That's too easy, right? Uh-huh. Now, hey, what's your name? Oh, Paul, you know, my name's Chris. Hey, nice to meet you guys. And now we start to learn, hey, do you live here? We're down here for business. Oh, yeah, you live right around the corner. That's great. What do you do for work? Now I'm finding out, okay, their name, where where they live, what they do for work. And that's only a matter of time before I can either clone their cards, right? Because most people have RFID on their credit cards, steal their wallet. And now I have their pin number and their ATM, or at least make them a long-term target, right? So now I know her date of birth. I know her name. I know where they live. I know where they work. And now they can become a target from maybe even a bigger scope attack because I have all these details on them. And details make you feel like I can now be your buddy. I can be your friend. If I bump into you tomorrow at the Starbucks, you might might not think, oh, he's following me. Oh, wow, you said you were here. What a coincidence. Hey, I remember you from the restaurant yesterday, right? Oh, Beth, it's really great to see you again. And now I may be able to further my attack efforts because of that rapport that I built using elicitation methods. Yikes. Okay, okay. So, because most of us think um, hacking is is faceless and... Um, out of our control, but it's right in front of us as it well. Is. Yeah. yeah. So how can we use some of these tools for good? Okay. So I, I love the, uh, there's a story I use in the book that kind of follows along with the same thing where it was the first time ever that my wife and I got first gra- first class upgrades on a flight. And the, and I didn't, it was totally unintentional. Uh, we actually had said on the way to the airport, we had a really long trip and I was really tired. And I just said to her, hey, it was my daughter, my wife and I, I said, when we get there, let's just ask how much it would cost to upgrade. Maybe they have a sale or something and we could afford it, right? So we had this plan to ask. 
Well, I'm wheeling our cart and we got tons of luggage and I hit this bump and all this luggage spills over and I make a joke uh, about a dumb American had an accident on the M5, which Uh is a major highway in in London. Right. And all these Brits laugh. One of the women behind the counter who's doing the flights, she looks at me and she chuckles. And I said, oh, she's a good person to go you know, have us help, help us because she, she, we have rapport now. She laughed at my joke. So we, we go up to her counter and she is, she is laughing at the joke still. And my wife, and this was unplanned. My wife was the, the kindest person on the planet. She looks at her and she goes, your makeup is immaculate. Not only that, but wow, it matches that scarf. It's so beautiful. Well, this woman literally, like you could literally watch her body language change. Mm-hmm. Her shoulders went back, her chest went out, this huge smile on her face. They're talking about the time they spent for makeup this morning. Uh, my wife says, man, that's, and my wife is from Thailand, so loves all these bright colors. So she says, that scarf reminds me of my home country. Can I buy one? She's like, oh no, they're only here if you work for Virgin Airlines, you can't really buy one. And I, now they're having this amazing conversation. And I, as a social engineer now, I'm seeing, like you can almost see the oxytocin dripping from her nose, you know, like it was that yeah. much. And I'm like, so I lean in, I put my arm around my wife and I say, you know, ma'am, I, I, we probably can't even afford this, but I'm just curious, are there any chances for upgrades? You know, it's a really long flight back. And she doesn't even look at me. She looks straight at my wife. She goes, let me see what I can do. She's typing, 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 typing. She goes, whispers right up to us. Hey, I'm going to put all three of you in first class. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. How much, how much do you want for that? Doesn't even look at me again, just straight at my wife. I'm doing it as a present. Just, you know, have, have a great time. And she does that. Right. So, okay was the most amazing experience, but we took that and we tried it six more times uh-huh. and it worked four out of six times. Really? Oh, yes. that's good. Cause, cause yeah. I, um, I have a segment on uh, teaching people first class, how to get first class upgrades as well. And it's just human connection. And a yes. compliment goes so far because people exactly. in the airline industry and especially now, um, it, it's just it's tough and there's yeah. delays and people are mean and if you can just stand out and be nice it is amazing what will happen yeah and, and and what i found for me is that when i offer to pay for it so i don't say here's a compliment hey can you give me something for free i compliment them i get them happy and then i say how much would it cost for me to do this and four out of those six times they gave they said you know what let me just give it to you Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Now, I also have a system for how to talk your way out of a traffic ticket. Oh, I and, need that. And uh, well, um, <laughs> I, I have, uh, I used to close my persuasion keynotes with it because it was kind of like the final capstone of everything. And I, um, I didn't realize I was doing it kind of like you. Uh, and I realized one day I'd been pulled over 10 times in the last, at a certain point in the, in the past three years, and I had only gotten <laughs> one ticket. That's <laughs> and, awesome. Yeah. But it's all about connection and understanding what the other person is looking for. Yeah. And, uh, and now that I've hinted at that, I might as well just tell everybody the, the, um, cops are, um, they don't know who they've pulled over. So if you make yourself seem safe, then you've gone really far in the direction of not getting a ticket and um you know if all else fails you can cry that works sometimes <laughs> as well it might work for you i don't know if it would work for me uh, it uh, the might crying work better for you chris you never know you have may try <laughs> how do you make yourself seem safe though what do you do to make yourself seem safe well uh first thing you gotta roll down the window roll down the front window roll down the back window and turn on the dome light if it's dark so uh-huh. let them see in right and then just keep your hands on the steering wheel 
just keep them on the steering wheel and and they're going to ask you uh three questions really reliably uh one is where are you going and so the answer is not why the hell do you want to know <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So just it just makes them up if you don't want to tell them but you got to keep a nice easy voice uh-huh. tone right and then they're going to ask you um it, do you know how uh, they'll, they'll probably ask you, you know, do you know why I'm pulling you over? That kind of thing. Just keep calm, keep calm. But then if your hands are always on the wheel, they'll ask you for your driver's license and your um, registration. And so you go, you know what? That is in my purse and in my glove box. Is it okay if I go, mm-hmm. if I reach there to get it? And so what you've done is put them in the power position and you've told them exactly where your hands are going to go. I love it. And uh, it, it really works. So I'm going um, to go good, try to get pulled over and try it. Oh, yeah. well, <laughs> I wouldn't suggest trying. To oh, darn. Over. Okay. However, I think Chris, it'll happen naturally. Just keep yes, going. It, it will happen naturally. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so what else, um, tell us about your company. I know you have a big conference that you do. Um, and then yeah. uh, and then I also wanna know about the craziest breaking you've ever tried, ever. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so let's see, company. So I, I run a couple things. I, my main company is Social Engineer LLC. Uh, we only do human-based uh, corporate pen tests, right? So we do all like fishing as a service, fishing as a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, because of COVID, we're not doing many break-ins. We're not flying anywhere, but we do that. Uh, of course, you know, post and pre and post COVID, we, we do those things. Uh, a lot of consulting on, on human-based, a lot of education, speaking, mm-hmm. training, and, and things like that. Uh, that that, that uh, could be found at social-engineer.com. Um, I also run a nonprofit. It's called Innocent Lives Foundation. Uh, I'm the CEO of that. Oh, cool. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, the nonprofit is, uh, so what has happened a number of times in my career is while working with corporations, I've uncovered people who were using their uh, corporate machines to exploit children. So to create child pornography or uh, to trade in child abuse material. And I've worked with law enforcement over the years to have those people apprehended and arrested. And I thought one day, I wonder if other people in my industry are having the same experience, but not knowing what to do. And I found that more did. So uh, I started the ILF uh, three years ago to bring together people from my industry that have amazing talents. And we work closely with law enforcement to use our talents to unmask people who are abusing children and then get them arrested, uh, especially on the dark web and on websites where they're grooming children. Um, we've this, as of this third year, we've uh, finished uh, 305 cases uh, with 247 of them being active with uh, law enforcement. A lot of our work has led to arrests and things like that. So we have 50 volunteers, five full-time employees, and we're a 501c3. So you can find out more information on innocentlivesfoundation.org. Um, but that, that's one thing. And then you mentioned the conference, uh, which is uh, aptly named the Human Hacking Conference. Uh, it will be our second year this year. And uh, what I did is I, what I loved about uh, my, my work is I got to work with and talk to so many great people, people like you that aren't in InfoSec, but do things that are really much like it, you know, like Joe yeah. Navarro. Um, oh, like yeah, Dov Ben, guy, huh, Joe? Man, so Joe's amazing. Yeah. I love that guy, and and I got a chance to meet him and work with him, and then people like Robin Dreek, who was the director for the FBI at the BAU for so many years, and now he runs a company consulting people on how to uh, earn trust and build rapport. 
you know, people like Stephanie Paul, who was an actress, and she does some great things now with consulting. I mean, the list can go on and on. But I gathered all those people together and said, would you teach half day courses to help anyone who wants to learn how to use the skills you have to become better? Mm-hmm. So we started the human hacking conference last year. It was really successful this year. Of course, COVID's kicking us. Yeah. So we're doing it virtually oh, uh, cool. March 11 through 13. And uh, all of those trainers plus, you know, uh, a dozen more will be there. Uh, Chase Hughes, uh, Dov Barron, uh, Ian Rowland, who's like the world's leading cold reading expert. Um, our Paul Wilson, who's like a, a con man, a, a legitimate con man. All these people are coming in and they're doing trainings and you can sign up for it and come to these trainings virtually and learn from these folks. So I'm really excited about that conference because it's just one of those things that um, I, if, if, it was, if it was there, I would have been going to it for years. So I made the very thing that I've always wanted, which is, which is really cool. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's, yeah. and I gotta tell you, you have the biggest names in the business. Um, Thank you. There, so I, I have, uh, I, could, I don't think anyone's gonna be able to knock your, uh, uh, I hope not. credibility. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I mean, you know, what we did is we, we got people who really have established their names for, for years, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, and I, I just one second to not, hopefully, not be too braggy, but I'm really proud of this. Joe Navarro and, and us have signed a contract that his only U.S.-based training will be at our conference. Yeah. So uh, he'll do private trainings, of course. So I, I, sh- I want to make sure people know that. But his only public U.S. based training is with Human Hacking Conference now. Wow. Um, you got yeah. The ex- experience last year was so good. It's, wow. And he is just and he is such a master at what he does. Isn't he? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I love working with him and I love being mentored by him. And to have that, it's like people need to come and just learn from him. But we have so many other Mark Bowden coming. Oh, Mark good. Bowden's coming. And, you know, he's doing a class on nonverbals. Uh, yeah, the li- list just goes on. It's, it really is a like I went out and I said, who would I want to learn from? And I invited all those people in and they went and magically they all went, yeah, I'd love to come and do that. Oh, fun. Well, one day you'll hire me. I know. So. Yes. <laughs> I'll have to have you come in and you know do body language stuff. And oh, yeah. uh, even those little tips on persuasion and things are awesome because these are things that people don't really think about and that you can use it every day. Like you said, they picture hackers as these hoodie wearing hoodlums in the basement and not like, Hey, every day you can use these skills and not have to be a jerk to people. You can be a great person and use them. Well, you can use it to make people's life better. Right. Is the thing. And so let's talk about deception for a minute and, and how, how can we use detecting deception to make people's life better? So I'll go and then you go. So yep. um, I was in, um, well, we were remodeling our house. It's been five years ago. And my husband is really good. He does it all himself. Won't let anybody in the house with a tool. And, um, and he's a rocket scientist, like a real rocket scientist. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he's a farm boy and everything is, is built and it is double built. Perfect. Right. So we didn't have a kitchen. He had torn everything out of the kitchen and he wanted to build it back how we wanted it. And all I have is it's, we'd been working all day and it was, eight o'clock at night. We're so hungry. We go to the store. The store is like three blocks over here. We go to the store and um, now see he's, he's picky, right? So he, he doesn't like, you know, that, that chicken that they have in the store, the rotisserie chicken and you, yeah. and it's in the little heating section yep. and you walk by and it smells so good. Like, I feel like it's like, um, you know, those smell waves on the car. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that. And so I'm floating over towards it. He doesn't like the chicken. 
I'm with him. Because, <laughs> now, I, I want to find it. Now, why don't you like the chicken? I, it's always so greasy. And I just don't, I, I can make a better chicken at home than they can make there. But I'm with you. When you walk by it, my brain just goes, I want that chicken. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so he doesn't like it for a different reason. Because he he's into the, he's an engineer, right? Cost benefit analysis. He thinks huh. it's too much work to get the chicken off the bone for the amount of chicken that you actually end up with. Wow. Okay. okay. No, I would not have gone that deep. <laughs> this yeah. is what I'm dealing with at the house. Okay. Yeah. So, so, uh, so the smell waves have floated me over to the chicken. Remember, I'm hungry. It's eight o'clock at night. I'm like, Matt, can we just get a chicken tonight? Can we, can you just make it work? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> like that. Like, so, so he's telling me no with everybody right, right. in this town. And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, okay. I stop in the middle of the grocery store. I'm like, you just lied to me. I said, you just lied to me. I know you did. And um, so we need to not have the chicken and I need you to tell me the truth. And from, from here on out. And, and so he goes, oh my gosh, yes, I don't want the chicken. And so, <laughs> so we looked on the top of the shelf and I'd never seen this before and I'd never seen it since. And we had a turkey breast in one of those bags that was sitting there heated. I said, would you like the turkey instead? And he's like, Yes. Can we just get the turkey? I'm like, great, right? So, so you can actually make someone's life better by detecting deception, right? Because they may be just lying to make you feel good or to smooth things over. So, what do you got? Have you used your powers for good? Wow, that's great. Um, that's a great story. I don't know if I can top that one. You know, I, I, um, wow. Uh, you know, I think for me, the the uh, the ways that I've been able to use these skills uh, successfully is with my family. So um, learning how, you know, like, I think there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to body language that are taught out there. And I had, I had an amazing privilege of my second book was co-authored with um, Dr. Paul Ekman. Oh, wow. So, oh yeah. I, it, it was it, it, like, honestly, with that alone, I can just like end my career and be like, that was it. I'm, I'm done. That was awesome. Like it's that was, from here, Chris. yeah, I know. So, so for people who don't know, Paul Ekman uh, really started the whole study of microfacial expressions. And he did that back in the, what was it? The sixties? Sixties. And he yeah. went to, well, I'll let you tell how he did it. Cause you pro can probably tell better than me. Well, he, so he had this notion that he want that, that we have these base emotions as he counts seven base emotions and that we express them all on our face, exactly the same way, regardless of culture, gender, race, religion, um, at age, he said that we do that and he wanted to prove it. So he flew to places like Papua New Guinea that wow. they'd had no newspapers, no radio, no TV. And he filmed people making facial expressions during emotional triggers and then compared that to people in Western societies and was able to prove scientifically that we do. We, we have these universal facial expressions. Then he worked with a couple other great minds and creating what's uh, called fa FACES, F-A-C-S, uh, which is the facial action coding system, which codes every muscle fiber in our face and the directions it moves and allows crazy? us, yeah, it's crazy, yeah. to allows us to understand that a facial movement, a muscular movement could indicate a certain emotional trigger. Um, and, and in working with him, one of the things I learned um, was that there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to nonverbals out there, both body language and facial expressions. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear this all the time in sales. Like people will say, well, if you cross your arms, you're, you're closed off. Well, maybe you're cold. Maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe you're cold. Maybe you're cl Maybe you're closed off. Maybe you're cold. Maybe you're comfortable. Who knows? We don't know, right? The, 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 the way to get from 
the maybe to yes, this is what it means is by asking questions. Exactly. Right? And and I've been able to use that with my kids because like my son. Now, how old uh, are your kids? He, Tell us about your kids. Uh, my, my son is 28 okay. and my daughter is 16. Okay. Um, now, now my son still does it, but when he was much younger, he has this like perpetual motion leg, like it never stops moving. Yeah. Right. And people would, I, I remember parenting books even saying this, that if your kids are fidgety, they're probably deceptive. And I'm like, that doesn't ring true because my son was never a liar. He was always one of those people that was like insanely honest. So I, I heard, you know, one day he goes to this gathering, this party, and someone calls me and says, hey, Colin was in a fight with one of his friends there. You might want to talk to him about it. Uh-huh. So he comes home and I'm like, hey, how was the, uh, how was the party? He's like, great. And that's all he says. And he leaves. So I'm like, okay, he doesn't want to talk about it. So I got to figure out how I'm going to get him to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So the next day we're sitting there and, you know, Colin's leg is always moving. And I said, so, hey, who was at the party? And he names off all of his friends. And then um, he didn't say Stuart, which is the guy he fought with. So I said, oh, was, uh, was Stuart there? His leg stops completely. Oh, busted. And he says, yep. And then his leg starts again. And I'm like, oh, I said, okay. So I said, hey, didn't you tell me like before that you and Stuart were going to a movie this weekend? Plans changed. Leg uh-huh. stopped. Right. And every time I mentioned something about Stuart, his leg stopped, uh-huh. which to me wasn't an indication of deception. It was an indication that there was an emotional change right. there at that time. And using those methods, I was able to communicate with him and get him to open up and tell me what happened without having to go the tell me what happened. You know, you're in trouble kind Ooh, of thing. That's good. Ooh, like and we were able to work it out. And I've done that with my daughter over the years. I've done that with with him, my wife and, and my daughter when she was really young is when I started my work on all of this. And she's had the opportunity, she actually had the opportunity to be mentored by Dr. Ekman. Um, and I use her face in the books and stuff because she's a, she's a natural at a lot of the facial expressions by, you know, just by birth and training and whatever. Uh, and and it, for me, what that has done for them is it's given them a leg up on um, noticing people who don't have good intentions. So my daughter can read facial expressions from an expert level and she could see that and go, I don't know if I trust that person. And that's, and, and I've enabled her and my wife and I have enabled her through the years to not ignore that nonverbal radar. So if someone is un- feels unsafe to you, then avoid that person. We can oh, prove yeah. it or disprove it later, but don't go the normal route where people go, oh, you're just being a silly girl. He's fine. Don't do that. No, if you feel unsafe, then he's unsafe. Oh, and yeah. that's fine. Well, I, I've, I've done that before. And I'll tell you when I did it is because um, I, had, I had another life when I had a real job and um, <laughs> I could never quite hold a real job, but I could get them. Um, and I was a night manager in an ice cream plant down in Denver, like, like a big one. And um, we had to bring in temp employees and they had this guy and I was the only manager there at night. And they're like, he's going to be in your shift. And, and I, I got that vibe from him. And I was like, no, he's not. I go, he can stay or I can stay. And that is it. And, and they listened to me and they sent him home. So yeah. that's super important. And I didn't even know uh it's like it was i didn't know any of this back then and um but i think that's really important that people know they can be empowered to do that Mm -hmm. especially women in this society i've so many times heard male co-workers or male cohorts say you're you're, you know you're just being a silly woman you know he's a fine he's fine he's not he's safe Mm -hmm. and then that's what people said about ted bundy oh he's fine he's good looking he's safe 
He was a serial killer. So no, if you have a feeling in your gut that this person is making you feel unsafe or, or a little creeped out, go with that. And that's well, what- you gotta listen to it. Know, that's I, how I've used the skills, you know? Well, I think so. And, and I'm just gonna say this and then we're gonna jump into your uh, story here on fraud or uh, it's a cool story. But um, the, the basis of it is you only get treated how you let yourself get treated. Yeah. And, and I think as women, we forget that. And um, I just think it's super important. Uh, yeah. to, and I have a, I think I have an easier time maybe than um, someone who's five, two, uh, mm. cause I'm five, nine. <laughs> and, and I think, I think a little bit of height difference can make it, but it's also energy inside. Right. So. Yeah. And I think um, also your education and your knowledge helps you because some people lack the confidence to do what you did in that ice cream place. They, they, they lack the confidence to stand up for themselves and say, I'm not going to stay here if you let him come because I feel unsafe. Some people would just have ignored that and maybe suffered some horrible consequences because they didn't have the confidence to stand up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I've never been one to be understated. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Which is probably why I've lost all the jobs I've lost. But see, when, when you're a, a speaker, then you make more money because yeah. of that. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we have to find our passion in life, right? And we do, we do. It took me a sounds while. Sounds like you found it. it. A while, at least professionally, to do that. Okay, <laughs> so final story. You got a whopper out there, or something? Uh, something you cracked into? Um, a story that where someone's used some of your tools? Um, I do. I do. We were, um, okay. So we were breaking into an armed facility here in this country. Okay. And when I say armed, I mean the security detail was ex Marines and SOCOM and they carried automatic weapons. And, um, I had done, uh, my buddy and I, Ryan, again, we're out there and I had driven this Suburban that we rented. So we were out in a different state. So we rented this car, the only car, the place that was Suburban. And we had driven it uh, about a half a mile away from this facility we were supposed to go into. And I launched my drone and I was going to fly it over the facility. And I was going to fly it just to see if the if I can pick up anything in the fence, like a an area that was weak or that was cut so that way at night we can come back and go to that location because oh, wow. it was pretty big. Okay, hang right. on, back up. Yeah. Why didn't they shoot your drone down? That's a great question. So here's the thing. Right. I flew it up high enough that we were safe. But then, and here's the part of the story, then I got a little cocky and I brought it really low because I thought I saw an area in the fence that was, that was good for us. Uh -huh. So I brought it low. And soon as I did that, I saw a guy look and point. Oh. And I'm like, crap. So I bring the drone back, uh -huh. we pack it up, we get in the car and we start driving away. Now, I don't know that anybody caught us, right? I'm unaware of that. Uh -huh. So I said to Ryan, I said, look, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just pull into the parking lot real quick? We'll take a couple quick shots of the locks on the fence. We'll go back to the hotel. We'll see if we can identify the locks. Maybe we can get the picks that are right for it and we'll come back tonight. So I pull in the parking lot. We, Ryan snaps a couple of pictures of the lock and I'm now in reverse to pull out. When I put it in reverse, the Suburban's reverse camera comes up and there are eight guys with automatic weapons running at the car. Oh, shoot. So <laughs> Ryan says, hey, why don't we just get out and lay on the ground? And I'm uh -huh. like, oh, heck no. We're going to get caught. We're not going to be able to break in tonight. Yeah. So I put it in drive and I floor it and we peel out and we just get the heck out of there. Uh -huh. To this day, I don't know why they didn't shoot us, right? Oh my God. So we flee. We get back to the hotel um, that night. 
we we come back and I'm like, we can't go in the same way we came in today because our car is probably on, on, you know, on, on camera. Uh -huh. So about a half a mile away from the facility, there's this giant field, like this field that just kind of leads to the back of it, but there's not, not a road. It's just a field. Okay. And I'm like, we got a suburban. Let's just drive through the field. <laughs> so we pull off road and we're driving through this field. Our lights are off. We're driving super slow. We're literally navigating because Ryan's got a uh, Google maps up with satellite view. Uh -huh. And he's telling me, Hey, there's a culvert. Don't go this way. Go this. And we're navigating in the blind with Google maps. Right. Oh, Perfect. Driving yeah, super slow. Yeah. So we get all the way out to the facility. We park the car. We get out. And I could see all these lights. I could see people walking around the facility. We had, uh, I, I messed up this part. We, we stole a ladder from a, from another facility of theirs just down the road. So we come, okay, we stole okay. a ladder. We come back. We grab the ladder from the back of the, the Suburban. And we just wait. And we wait till people are gone. And now often this distance where I was trying to get that drone shot, there's a light that's not working. So it's really dark. So I'm like, let's go over there. So we put the ladder up against the fence and I climb on it and bam, we breached the facility. This, right this fully armed facility, we breached it with a stolen ladder and a, and, and a couple pieces of rope. Uh -huh. And we're roaming around this facility for an hour and a half and nobody catches us. Wow. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the next day, we come to, you know, report and tell them like, Hey, you know, we, we did this. They don't believe it. And we had left the ladder and the rope. And we said, go to this spot in the fence. And they go and they're like, crap. I'm like, yeah, oh my yeah, God. yeah. So it, you know, it's those, those stories are always super scary because, you know, I mean, like we're in this armed facility and it's, it's one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, and we're wearing black and we're running around. I, I can only imagine that if these guys round a corner and see us, we're just praying that they have the arrest first and shoot later, as opposed to shoot first, arrest later. Yeah. You know? uh -huh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, um, okay. So tell us one more time, if people want you to come break into their business, <laughs> Um, and show them their weaknesses. How do they find you? Social-engineer.com. Got it. And of course, make sure you go out. First thing you should do, get Chris's book. It's called Human Hacking, right? Win yeah. friends, um, influence people, and leave them better off for having met you. Yeah, it is absolutely fantastic. It is a must read. Chris, thank you so much you. for coming on Frog Busting. This was a ton of fun. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.